I would say the issue more lies not with the Constitution itself, but with the people involved in it, the people in that system, and that we need more good people to be involved, but you need to take action. Good morning, Idaho. Welcome to the local Yokel Idaho podcast, where we talk about what is going on in the wonderful state of Idaho. Those tuning in for the first time, we'd like to have a little bit of banter before we get into the stories, but I understand if you're short on time, you can skip the banter and jump straight to the stories using the timestamp that's in the description. For those that stayed, welcome. Glad you were able to stay with us here for the banter. I know it's always a joy. Definitely, I know people trying to be more efficient with your time. I'm guilty of that a lot of the time, just trying to get info and stuff, but it means a lot that you joined us for this discussion and stuff. I think it's quite fun to have and kind of get to know me and my co-host, John, who is gladly hosting with me again today. Yep, I am here, and it has been one heck of a week, let me tell you. So (laughs) I'm excited to get into these stories. I know there's a lot going on in the world of politics, so it's it's an interesting time right now. Yes, yes, it has been for sure. And I have a feeling the week after next is going to be very busy as well. Let's just say there's certain people I can't talk about some of the details that were running from buildings to capitals because of sundry things. So I have a feeling there's going to be some news to be talking about next week. But what has been making your week so interesting? Oh, just all kinds of stuff. There's there's professional work. The, uh, Apex Legends just dropped season 20. So I've been busy playing and recording and streaming that. I, I, uh, I think I... Streamed for four hours on Tuesday and then edited oh, a video and Whoa. put that out. So that's a chunk that of change my, right there. Yeah, that was Tuesday. So that was that was a solid, you know, ten or twelve hours right there out of Tuesday. Yeah. So that 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 basically threw my entire week out of whack. And and after that, it's just been everything is crazy. But that's a that's a that's a what I think that happens every. Like three times a year, maybe four. So, right. you know, that's a that's a limited thing. But, but yeah, that's that's the biggest thing. And then I th- I think I've had something every evening this week that I've been working on. So it's just it's been a crazy week. Well, ho- hopefully, at least you can step back and feel a little productive doing all that and different things. Granted, I know for myself, I I played a little bit of games, but not a ton. Remind me again, uh, I was Apex, right? Yeah, so Apex Legends, it's a first-person shooter. It's a battle royale, much like PUBG or Fortnite. Okay, and yeah, yeah. If I any of, I know the one you're talking about. You have, like, different classes you can play in it that have kind of some yep. specific roles. Yeah, it's a fun game. It's it's fast-paced. It's very movement-based. I think they just hit their fifth anniversary. Yeah, I've heard it's quite interesting. popular. I've known a lot of other friends that play it. I myself have not. I... You know, I'm not trying to be a purist or something in that regard, but like the only one of those that I've really touched is like TF2 is like the only one I've had some kind of uh-huh. gameplay time with. So yeah, if anyone listening is is an Apex player, hit us up, and I would love to play with you. <laughs> I'm not super great, but I do enjoy it. And if you're wanting to dive into that content, then I'll shout out the name of that channel. It's Gunkies Games. You can find that over on YouTube, or I think I. I post some of my videos on Rumble. Sometimes I forget about it because no one watches anything on Rumble. I mean, Rumble's this weird world of that. I put some things on there, especially this channel, and you know this, John. And 
Some things will do well. And then another thing's like, yeah, two views. And it, it's so hard to kind of figure out what Rumble wants. Rather than YouTube, you can kind of get a feel for what the algorithm's yeah. wanting and you can feed it. I could believe it. That That's its own world and all that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, setting – I didn't plan for that to be my transition at all. But we did have some – I had a question for the audience. We're considering doing some changes for the channel as a whole – one of them is expanding the midweek report. I know everyone seems to really be enjoying that, and it's a product that seems to be a big success, and polishing that and growing it for people. And then possibly, this is where the biggest change would be, is that with the main show, making it a bit more focused, that maybe instead of us going over four or five things, that we only pick maybe two, maybe even just one type of topic or story. And then we dive really, really deep into it, and I do a bunch of research on that one topic, and then maybe we'd have other people on that are related to that topic to talk about it and give their opinion or professional you know, position on it. That's something we're considering, if that's something that you would like for the direction, because I know some people are liking the midweek report more than the main show, which is fine. You like what you like. We're just trying to make sure we can figure out how to serve you best to get you involved in the local community and also, just know what's going on in Idaho and be involved. So please let us know on that. Those are things we're considering. If you think that's a horrible idea, then let me know. If no one lets me know it's a horrible idea, I'm just going to take that as it's fine. Because <laughs> that's usually the way it kind of goes. And also with that said, not as much as an input thing, but something we're also working on. We're working on a locals page. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of like Patreon, that it would have members content that there'd be with this stuff, but there would be extra perks. There might even be a bloopers reel. We're working on, you know, possibly a live stream type of thing. Also with that said, what type of content do you think would be really cool for us to make that you would enjoy and be willing to pay for? Would that be a live stream where it's me and John and you can directly interact with us on that? Just feedback on these ideas would be really, really helpful from the viewer out there because they're things we're chewing on. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to improve the show and make it better for everyone. But with all that said, not as much of a banter today. I just wanted to get that out of the way, mainly because the stories we have this week, we have a lot of political ones, and me and John have a habit of getting a little bit more stuck on those as we're going through them, so we'll jump straight into them here. Our first one, we're starting off here, nice and hot, Idaho Republican Caucus, a closed door to the media. This comes by several sources. On March 22nd, Idaho's Republican Party will conduct its first presidential caucus in over a decade, a significant event that marks the state's desire to be an early influencer in the presidential selection process. However, the caucus comes with a notable change, the exclusion of media from caucus locations. This decision has sparked a debate about transparency, election integrity, and and the role of media in political processes. The Idaho Republican Party's decision to hold a caucus this year stems from a legislative oversight that eliminated the March primary elections. The caucus, restricted to registered Republicans, will take place across 210 locations statewide. The party's executive director, Kira Turnbow, stated that the exclusion of the media aims to protect election integrity and ensure that only registered Republicans can cast their ballots. However, this rationale has not quelled concerns. Instead, it has raised questions about the GOP's commitment to transparency 
transparency. Political scientists and journalists have criticized the decision to bar media access, labeling it as undemocratic and abnormal. Leaders from Idaho for Openness in Government and the Idaho Press Club have voiced their disapproval, arguing that this move undermines public trust and makes it more difficult to inform the public about a high-interest event. Despite these criticisms, the Idaho Republican Party plans to allow media access to its downtown Boise headquarters when announcing the results. Although logistics are still being determined, this compromise doesn't address the broad concerns about openness and accountability in the caucus process. As Idaho prepares for its presidential caucus, the debate over media exclusion underscores a tension between the desire for election integrity and the need for transparency in a democratic process. The decision has implications not only for the relation between the Republican Party and the media, but also for public trust in the electoral system. So when I was researching this, I will very much admit I kind of flip-flopped my sides on this because, you know, you've got the media side of it and perspective, which obviously they're the ones that have the quill a lot of the time. And so they have a certain perspective on it and vice versa, the perspective from the Republican Party. But never let it be said here in the show that we don't try to be semi, at least impartial, or give a hand to each view. So I guess just a little bit of context I would like to jump into first as we're going into this. It's not a common practice from when I was researching for media not to be let into the caucus locations, but it is very, very common for the media not to be allowed in a voting area. So if you guys have ever gone vote, the presidential elections, I think is the most common one people remember. There's usually the building you go into and there's like a lobby or an area where you're walking into and people are meeting there and talking your different things. And then there's the actual room where the voting is happening. That I did find a lot of evidence of that area not allowing for media into the voting area, but the common area, which from the people I've talked to and the research I was able to do, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, please comment on this and I would love to see your source. But I couldn't find anything to say that the media were allowed in there, but it was just they were fully barred, that like they had to stand outside the building and they couldn't be in, and that was the position that the Republican Party was taking on it. Which that makes sense, I guess, if you're going to say that as a voting place, you don't let the press in, then if you're saying that at your caucus you are voting, then you don't let the press in. I I guess that makes sense. Frankly, the Republican Party, and I think I've said this before, the Republican Party is a private organization. They can do what they want. Whether they let the press in or not is up to them. It may look better or worse one way or the other, but I don't I don't think they should really care too much about the optics. The Republican Party isn't going anywhere, especially here in Idaho. Where they might care about the optics is if things get a little crazy or they make decisions that are really wonky. But I don't know. I Something tells me that coming out of this caucus, we're having... Uh, we're having... <laughs> Trump it's not going to determine too much nominee. that we don't already know. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess the, the issue is now you're setting precedent that we don't let media into Republican events. But then again, the media hasn't been kind to Republicans anyway. So, as as a Republican group, I'm sure you would just tell the media to go jump in a lake because they're not your friends anyway. So, right. okay. And I mean... <laughs> You're like, okay, yep, that that that's Idaho, yep. <laughs> and I mean, kind of springboarding off something you said there, and to kind of compare and contrast, obviously, as you touched on, there is a very large amount of distrust for the media, and I would argue it comes from an understandable place, right? That uh, the media lately is not the friend of a conservative, 
more the enemy, that it regularly likes to twist words and bend them the way that it wants them to be done rather than what they were, which is not good at all. And I think it's a warranted distrust, a warranted wariness of the media, right? But then you have the other flip side of it, which is that I would argue, and I agree with this position, the media should be there and should be used in society. It has a place to keep people accountable and especially our elected people. Obviously, the populace should be doing that, but not all of us can be on Capitol Hill every day, right? And so that's why, for example, here with Local Yokel Idaho, Idaho Freedom Foundation, other ones, right, I think are trying to step up to the plate to fill that gap. But the media or the news as a whole, that that is our job is to take that information, report it so that people can be kept accountable and the light can be shown on things and it doesn't get hidden. So you have these two sides, and I think both of them are very warranted in the way it's going. The Idaho Republican Party is being protective. We'll put it that way. And I, I see the warranted part of it, but there's another part of it that I will admit I am a little little bit more wary on. I obviously vote Republican. I'm conservative. And so when I'm saying I'm not a traitor or something, but I'm, I'm – you know, you can't be right all the time. <laughs> and so with that said, I would say let the media into the fore- foreground area. Obviously, they're going to do what the media does right, but I don't think this is a great precedent to set. And it's just a bubbling distrust and it doesn't look good. I personally, reading through all the arguments that the Republican Party is putting forward for why they're doing this, really don't make any sense to me and don't seem like warranted answers. The best argument I've heard Credit Where Credit's Do is over in the Idaho Dispatch. It's going to be in the description. You can go check that article out. It has to do with, in, with, priv- with integrity. But the best argument I heard is privacy, that you want people to be private, not pushed on what they're going to vote and how they're going to vote, right? And all these different things, which I, I think that's a fairish argument, but I feel like if the press isn't allowed into the voting room, that's... I just don't like that president that sets... This 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 trend with the Republican Party in the state of Idaho seeing is, is concerning. I would say <laughs> with the dislike of cameras and recording things, which are kind of a really good form of accountability. Yeah, well, and here here we might have a fundamental difference of opinion because one thing you said is you like the Republican Party. I personally can't stand the Republican Party. Okay, um, there are good people in the Republican Party. I'll say that first. But it's also, and maybe more national, and I don't know the local party as well, but the Republican Party is full of a bunch of snakes in the grass. And the Republican Party hasn't done anything to get rid of those snakes. And so the Republican Party, in my mind, as a, as a party, has already lost all credibility. And I don't look at them as being an, an open and honest organization in the way that they've done things on the federal level and at the state level in terms of which candidates they run, who they back, who they've ousted recently in the House. Things in the Republican Party are really weird and really goofy, and and it's not great. So when it comes to something like this... It doesn't shock you. I mean, I right, no, it doesn't shock me that, that the Republican Party doesn't want to air their dirty laundry because it's really dirty. And... You know, if if you're a fan of the Republican Party, you might not like me for having that opinion. And that's great. You can have your opinions. I, I hope you allow me to have them, too. But I can't say that I've seen the Republican Party as a party, not individuals, but as a party ever do anything that would make me desire to respect them as an organization. I mean, it's a fair position. The two political parties in America, you know, the big ones, Democrat and Republican, they're not great. They aren't. Nope. <laughs> 
And at the end of the day, I think most of the time we're choosing between better of two evils, right? And the Republican Party, I think, has a little bit of a better backbone in some areas than the Democrat Party. And obviously the, the founding ideals in any case, right? Yeah, that and I would agree with that. In the platform. Now, the execution of that, I think there's a lot of problems with it. And it's not great. Yeah. And I know a lot of people in a recent thing, which I'm not going to go into right now publicly on the show, in Idaho have kind of stepped away from certain areas of the Republican Party due to frustration and kind of that dirty laundry you're talking about, right? And I, I think that's, that's fully, fully warranted. But my perspective anyways on it is that if there's something that you, you, you think is good – that you, you want to be good, shall we say. I, th I, I think the mm -hmm. Republican Party could do some really amazing good. Then I would say you should fight for it and you should go and try to change it. And so with the Republican Party, my argument would be the reason the Republican Party it is, and both parties for that matter are the way they are, is for a lack of local involvement in them. Yep. They are structured in such a way that you can have a profound impact on your Republican and Democratic Party. Well, at least the Republican. I don't know much about the Democrat, but I would hope so at a local level. And if you really think it's sleazeball-y, then I feel like that should call you and I would encourage you to then get involved then. Don't just sit there and say, it's bad, it's horrible, blah, 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 blah. We'll have a solution. I would encourage yeah. you and challenge you to get involved and try to make that not the case. Yeah, when, and I would agree with that. The first the first part of that that whole conversation, I would say, is pay attention to the world around you and get to know things. Anywho, coming back to, I guess, the grounding of the story, the Republican Party's kind of doing some interesting things there that I don't think, eh, they're iffy, but something to be aware <laughs> of and maybe reach out to your Republican representative in the party. And speaking of being involved in your local community, Boise School Board member arrested activism or disruption. This comes by KTVB7 by the Idaho Press staff. Boise School Board member Shiva Rajmandari has made headlines once again, this time for being arrested at President Joe Biden's campaign headquarters in Wilmington, Delaware. Rajmandari, along with 20 others, was charged with trespassing and disorderly conduct after attempting to engage with the campaign staff about Biden's clean energy and climate change promises. The group's intentions were to urge the president to declare a climate emergency and prioritize frontline communities. Raj Bhandari, a 19-year-old elected official and undergraduate at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, is no stranger to activism. His previous arrest in New York for protesting fossil fuel investments and a notable incident at Ron DeSantis's event has cemented his reputation as a passionate climate activist, to say the least. Despite the legal prosecutions, Raj Bhandari has remained committed to his cause. Rajmandari's actions have sparked a debate about the role of elected officials in activism, especially when it intersects with their duties as public servants. As a young trustee elected to the Boise School Board while still a high school senior, Rajmandari has been a vocal advocate for climate change action and student representation. But in a weird twist, he serves on the school board completely remote from the university. The Boise School Board has confirmed that Raj Bhandari cannot be removed from his position unless recalled, as he was duly elected. This stance has been reiterated by the Boise School Board President Dave Wagers, emphasizing the board's focus on education and community programs. However, Raj Bhandari's repeated arrests and his previous controversial actions have raised questions about the balance between his role as an activist and a school board member. 
This situation underscores the hypocrisy of student representation from a distance and fanatical activism. It remains to be seen how Raj Bhandari's activism will influence both local and national conversations on climate policy, which I will try my best to be impartial. But I guess starting off with the first thing I have in my notes here, let's try to dive into the logic behind the craziness. But like we've been talking about in past conversations about vision, trying to have a vision or the way that you see the future, a plan or solution, right, to a thing. I think for this conversation about why is Raj Bhandari doing this and why would someone go this far right? Because I would say the average individual doesn't quite go this fanatical. I would say it first has to start with the idea of vision. If you accept the idea that the world is going to end and not the Christian one that we have domain over the earth and we are to take care of it, which would be the other position, right? It changes the way you look at it. If you look at it that this is our domain, this earth, it's given to us by God to take care of, right? And now there's ownership of it. Yes, you know, your dad gets you a new car, but you're not supposed to wrap the car around a telephone pole. You're supposed to take care of it. That That is a gift. That is a blessing. And because it's a gift and a blessing, then you should take really good care of it. And so as Christians, we should want to do national parks and activism and take care of the environment. But on the flip side, if you accept the idea that the world is going to end and that we're the cause of it, then I could see where you could feel justified in taking these dramatic actions and things, being like, the world's going to burn, we're all going to get flooded, some variation thereof I'm not going to go into all the details of. And then this this seems a lot more easy and a lot more logical to do if that's the premise you're working from. But I feel like that's kind of what we're seeing here. Yeah, there's definitely an unhealthy view of nature itself. And so you took the religious view, the religious Christian view, you can take for for this issue specifically, and, and a lot of it, you can take a naturalistic view as well that, that looks at the natural world and says, humans ain't doing nothing. Like we've, we've sucked up a bunch of oil. We've emitted carbon dioxide, but the earth right now is greener than the earth has ever been. Right. Partly because we've emitted a ton of carbon dioxide. Yeah. What do plants and, use? <laughs> carbon yeah, dioxide? They, they eat carbon dioxide and sunlight. And so, I mean, I'm not a scientist. I don't claim to be one, but I am an engineer. And as an engineer, I look at problems and then look for solutions. And when I look at the climate, I don't see a problem that humans can solve. I see the earth doing earth things. Now, should we do our best to not destroy the earth? Yes, absolutely. Destroying the earth is not great. But truly, the only way out of poverty or economic struggles right now is oil and coal. That's what we got. And so truly, if you're a climate activist, then put your time and focus in studying new technologies. Because presumably, as new technologies come online, we'll use them. We already have nuclear power right now, which is the the most carbon and human-friendly fuel source that is known to mankind. Why aren't you putting your efforts into being a an activist for nuclear energy? Well, it's because, like you alluded to, this whole green energy, earth conservationism thing, it's not rooted in science. It's, it's a cult. Right. 
And I mean, on all of ranch to people out there, I know the Republican Party, more conservative people, you know, you don't want to change. You don't want to develop with the times or something argument. But if we're really taught, you're saying, OK, the evil thing is emissions, right? Then figure out a cheap, clean power source for the third world. They make a ton of greenhouse gases. If you really want that to stop mankind, not to destroy a bunch of things or creation, give them cheap, reliable energy. And in your case, then not polluting the environment. And I think that would be a great way to go. But like John alluded to, at the core of it, it comes back to a question of your worldview. And that will inform the direction you go and how logical you're being about it. In any case, definitely something to be aware of with the climate things. And then also Raj Mandari's added again. If you're someone who's over there in the Boise area and Boise School Board, maybe you might want to apply some pressure somewhere because that is your elected representative. So like we talked about in the last story, maybe get involved, put some pressure there, grease some gears. But yeah, the environment. Hey there! Now coming hot on a little bit of a happier note. Since you made it to this, you probably are enjoying the show thus far, and that probably means you want to keep up with all things Idaho. So don't forget to hit the subscribe button or follow button on Rumble, Twitter, or YouTube. That way you don't miss out on any of our future content about Idaho. Not to mention, if you found our content valuable and think it might benefit others, please like and share it. We have clips from our show on our YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter accounts, which are perfect for sharing parts of the show that you found important or valuable with friends and family. Whether it's fascinating political updates or intriguing local stories, your shares and likes can help us spread the word about our beautiful state. Also, for our audio-only listeners on platforms like iTunes or Spotify, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Please rate the show and leave us a review. Your feedback helps us out a ton to improve the channel as a whole. Thank you for your support and for being part of the local Yokel Idaho community. Together, hopefully, we can keep Idaho informed, engaged, and involved in this wonderful state. Now, let's dive back into the show. Keeping with the theme of politics here, Idaho pushes for a convention of states, a bold move towards constitutional amendments. This comes by several sources. In a significant political development, Idaho has joined the ranks of states advocating for the convention of states as outlined under Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. This initiative aims to propose an amendment to the Constitution, focusing on imposing financial restraints on the federal government, limiting its power and jurisdiction, and setting term limits for federal officials and members of Congress. This move affects Idaho's growing concern over the federal government's expanding reach and perceived erosion of states' rights and fiscal responsibility. The Convention of States project is a national movement that requires the support of 34 states to call a convention and 38 states to ratify any proposed amendments. The Idaho proposals are part of a broad effort, underscoring the state's commitment to reining in federal overreach and restoring a balance of power more in line with the founders' original intent. Advocates argue that such a convention is necessary to address systemic issues that elections alone cannot solve, such as national debt, corruption, and federal government's encroachment on individual liberties and state sovereignty. Critics, however, have expressed concern about the potential for runaway convention, end quote, that could lead to unintended changes to the Constitution. They fear that opening the Constitution to amendment in this manner could result in significant alterations to the document's core principle and protections. Despite these concerns, supporters in Idaho and elsewhere believe that the safeguards within Article 5 process, particularly in the high threshold for ratification, mitigate the risk of a runaway convention. 
as Idaho pushes forward with the proposal. The debate continues both within the state and across the nation. Proponents see this as a critical step towards fiscal responsibility, limited government, and enhanced state autonomy. Opponents caution against the unpredictable nature of such a convention. Regardless of the outcome, Idaho's involvement in the Convention of States project marks a pivotal moment in the ongoing discussion about the balance of power between the federal government and states and the best path forward for the United States. Which, a lot to unpack there. I actually, until this article came across my radar, had no idea that there was such a thing moving forward with the oh. project again. Yeah, I, I, so I've, I heard probably Ben Shapiro talking about it even all the way back when, during Trump's presidency, they've been talking about this. I know the Daily Wire has been after it for, I don't, I don't know, the last After eight, it, like years. against it or after? For it. They've been, they've been, they were advertising for it for a while. And it, it's an interesting idea. And when you start talking about some of the things that could happen, you bring up things like term limits for the federal legislative branch. Trying to increase turnover in the House and Congress. So that's that's like the one biggest thing. But also budgetary and finance. Our federal government is running away with everything. I think it's a great idea, personally. Well, I think we'll have an interesting discussion then. Yeah, go for it. I've I've opened the floor. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, all right, let's hear opposing counsel. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the only thing I wanted to start off with is just giving it a little bit of perspective. Idaho as a state with the governor, right, has jumped on with the project, but Idaho has not passed a resolution to that effect yet to like officially join that list. Yeah, so they've started talking about it, but they haven't made a decision yet. Right. So that was something I thought was kind of relevant in that respect. As for the tenants of it, obviously wanting to sit there and put some different boundaries and controls on it and the argument of that foundation, which I grabbed a bit from their page here, which is, national movement aimed to use state-led amendment process outlined in Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution to address issues like national debt and federal overreach. The movement is rooted in the belief that the federal government has exceeded, this is the part I'm going to come back later, its constitutional bounds, and that a convention is necessary to restore the balance of power more in line with the founders' original intent. Which, all of that sounds great to me. But my kind of iffy part, and I'm probably just being even more conservative in that respect, is that key part, exceed. The federal government has already exceeded the Constitution. I don't see why changing the Constitution is actually in the long run, or maybe even in the short term, going to make actually a lasting effect because the Constitution we have right now isn't being respected. And so what will any of those amendments be respected for? Yeah, and there's certainly validity to that standpoint. I, I guess the question comes down to when you have a broken system... How do you fix that broken system? And there's two ways to approach that. You can fix that system by the inside, by trying to get the system to fix itself. Or you can try and fix the system from the outside to have someone from the outside change the rules that that system plays by. Assuming you can get that system to obey those new rules. Sure, but it's the same thing that's going on down in Texas right now. It's one of the same fundamental questions that was asked during the Civil War. Are we a collection of states that have formed together to form a union, or are we, in, are we one country that is ruled from the top down? Right. 
But that's not how the United States was set up to operate and function. It, it was set up to operate and function as a unity of states, and those states have rights, they have obligations, as does the federal government. And if the federal government is not doing what the federal government is supposed to do, and then if the federal government is stepping on the states and doing what the states are supposed to do, then yeah, the federal government is broken. So like I alluded to, that's what's happening in Texas right now. The federal government is mandated with the protection of its borders. The federal government is not doing that right now. So Texas said, all right, as part of our constitution, we, the state of Texas, are also mandated to protect our borders. We're going to step up and do it, period, end of story. And the feds aren't going to get in our way. So in that situation, the feds clearly backed down. So if we go convention of states, will the feds do the same thing? That's their track record at this point. That's the precedent they've set. So again, the, the question of what happens if we tell the Fed that they have to abide by these rules and then they don't? Well, now that gives the states legal ammunition to come after the, the bad actors in the Fed who are not doing what they're supposed to do. I, I guess the part that where you lose me there is that I feel like the federal government has already crossed lines with the existing U.S. Constitution and states aren't doing that when they should be. And they have the ammunition to do it. So why are we wanting to pass, not pass, or mend, that's the word we're talking about right now, things to it? I, I'm more looking at it. I think the founders did a pretty good job, pretty bang up job when it came to the structure of the United States and its constitution. I would say the issue more lies not with the constitution itself, but with the people involved in it, the people in that system. And that we need more good people <laughs> to be involved, but you need to take action, grassroot. Going to that example with states keeping the government accountable and say, we passed this, we have this ammunition, the states go for it. I, I would appeal or argue that if we had the civil involvement that you saw maybe a hundred years ago in America, half the things the federal government has tried to do wouldn't have happened because basically the scream line, <laughs> local person screams to his local representative, that representative screams up the line. And before you know it, you have a bunch of states that are all acting. And it's not like, where's the corruption? No, all these people know everyone is involved. Everyone's watching me. Everyone is very active in at least their local community, which screams up the line. So just because you say, well, I can't cover the state legislature or I can't cover the federal government. Can you be involved in your local county? You can be involved in your local county and you scream at your local county. That goes up the ranks. And so with that idea of local civil involvement, I think is the cornerstone of actually solving this, not fundamentally trying to change certain amendments. Which makes sense. And I agree with more people need to be involved in their local politics. More people need to pay attention to what's going on. But also like the, the solution to that on a federal level, you talk about primarying people. But again, the problem with that is if you're going against the incumbent person who's been in office for 50 years, good luck. I absolutely try to try to beat him, but more than likely it's not going to happen. So, yes, right. I agree that grassroots is a thing that must happen, but also at the very least term limits need to happen. I guess maybe the core of this that me and you are kind of dancing around is, is the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, sufficient or is it not sufficient? That is the U.S. Constitution, you know, sufficient enough, it fulfills all the roles it needs to fill, and then it's an issue of people problem, which is where I stand, or is it insufficient? 
that it lacks some writing, some aspects, some amendments to it right, that it needs added to be sufficient. I feel like that's probably the where that me, where me and you are dancing. Right. So I would say that that the document itself is sufficient. The problem is the way that people are interpreting it to twist it into something that it is not. Because of the change of language over time? Correct. And so because of the way that people are changing language, they can now twist it to say something that is clearly antithetical. There's been a couple comments recently on our YouTube videos. Someone made the claim like, well, the Bill of Rights says a well-regulated militia, which means the army. And I want to say, no, you're wrong. The language at the time was, that's just the citizens. That's not saying that individuals must be a part of the army to therefore also own guns. And so, again, with the way these words are twisted, also, you talk to the same people, like, well, what, what firearms, what weapons are you allowed to possess? Can you possess a handgun? Can you possess a rifle? Can you possess a tank? Can you possess an aircraft carrier? Can you can you possess a nuclear bomb as an individual? Me, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, you have the right to all of those things. And I would say that our forefathers would have said the same thing because people came to them with cannons and with warships and said, hey, can I can I own that thing? And our federal government said, yeah. And and so, again, it's it's that twisting of reality that is what I think is the root cause of all of this. And so how do you solve that as a problem? One, it, although having said that, I would still say that term limits on our federal legislators should be amended into the U.S. Constitution. I mean, you're definitely getting me close there, closer to it, John. I, I've heard that, art, you know, the argument for term limits, and it's something that's talked about a lot more lately, especially with the age of some senators and representatives lately <clears throat> but i haven't quite come over the camp but you, you you make a i will admit a very very good case but one point i did want to touch on it's one i've realized i i don't think i've mentioned and i i honestly i learned this in only like maybe the last year or so that especially in a state like idaho that's super red the person who gets the r gets voted in which is actually a really really good thing as you as a person and let me explain i know people that have been able to go to the statewide Republican meetings, right? Where they, you know, decide, vote on or endorse who those representatives are going to be, right? And they, for lack of a better word, they're barely in it for less than a year or two to just climb up through the ranks. That you're only like maybe one, two positions away from being able to vote and make a very decisive vote from actually affecting if Mike Simpson gets the nomination for the Republican Party. Which is a huge effect that you say there and say, well, we need to primary someone. Well, cool. I would argue for Brad Little, for a lot of these people, as we get closer to their elections, I'm going to continue to encourage people, you know, coming back on my civil horse, <laughs> civil involvement horse here, <laughs> that you, you should really start at the Republican Party level as much as you may hate them or love them. It, 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 that, that is the point that if you want to look at the weakest link to affect which people get voted in or not, it's at that but coming back to your point, definitely, it's a fair point about term limits. I see the benefit on one side. There's another side of me that here's the other argument, which is if you're constantly having so much rotation right within Congress and the House, House and Senate, I need to get my English correct. Then you run into an issue that's kind of similar with the presidency, 
where one president commit does one says one thing to one country, right? Says, yes, we'll uphold this Russia or whatever, right? And then down the line, another president gets in and completely revokes that and goes back on our word because, you know, he's the president. He can do that type of thing. And so I could see that argument also makes sense to me when it comes to House and Senate where it's like, okay, yeah, we put term limits. But if we if we call this rotation to be too often, then people really can't build up power, build up connections to actually move certain things and things to be consistent. But I'm not sure. I think I, it'll be interesting to see as the discussion goes on. But in any of it, I think if you have a current application and maybe I think John might agree with me on this, we can find middle ground. For a current, like, what can you do now as an average citizen? Be civilly involved. <laughs> and then we'll see where the rest of this national conversation with amendments goes and how that starts to look. And at least if you're civilly involved, then you can actually maybe have a say in that. Yeah, to that, I would I would absolutely agree. that That is the place to start. Right. Anywho, I think we had a really good conversation on this story, <laughs> but definitely a longer one. The next one will also be fun because we're going to get into money. So speaking of U.S. senators, we have Idaho senators back $95 billion aid package amid national security debate. This comes by several sources. Idaho's U.S. Senators Jim Risch and Mike Crapo have recently cast their votes in favor of a substantial national security supplemental funding package, which has passed the Senate with a 70-29 vote. This $95.3 billion aid package is set with significant allocations for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. The passage of this bill comes after intense negotiations and political divisions, particularly concerning the U.S.'s role in foreign conflicts. The Idaho senators have emphasized that while the U.S. cannot police the world or engage in every conflict, it is crucial to support allies during these dangerous global times. They acknowledge that the legislation isn't exactly what they would have drafted, but assert it is a strong bill that enhances the safety of Idaho and the nation. This stance comes amidst a backdrop of Republican opposition, with party members arguing that domestic issues should take precedence over foreign aid. The funding package aims to defend Israel, counter China's and Russia's advances, and fund more U.S. military manufacturing capabilities. It also includes investments in America's energy independence and measures that are aimed at combating the global drug trade. As the bill now heads to the House, where opposition to further aid for Ukraine is firm among many Republicans, the future of this aid package hangs in the balance. The outcome will affect not only the international geopolitical landscape, but also the local and national economic interests of Idaho and the United States. Which, yeah, this has been a bit of a hot topic. I heard some people there originally like, well, at least our senators didn't vote yes on that big Ukraine spending bill thing. No, no, they did. They did vote yes for it, which generally, generally, I like Mike Crapo from what I've seen. I don't agree with all of this stuff because, you know, welcome to Washington. We just talked about that. Crapo seems to be really solid. And to go with that bit there, I have the links down here for their actual statements. And originally reading it here briefly, Crapo, here's his statement for why he originally was not going to vote for it. The quote, 
The president and the Senate Democrats would argue to include necessary reforms to ensure the president will close our borders to illegal entry. On his first day in office, President Biden blew open the southern border by using executive authority to rescind a number of successful Trump administration policies. This crisis is a direct result of this action. For him to suggest he cannot reverse course immediately and secure our border using the same authority is irresponsible and misleading. I cannot support the border proposal until it is fixed, including explicit reform requirement, first blah, 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 closing legal border. To date, President Biden has failed to demonstrate his administration implement force and uphold the law regarding border security. So his original thing is no, I'm not going to vote yes on it uh, because it doesn't do stuff with the border. Awesome. Crapo doing what I like. But here, you know, we talked about it briefly. But I also have a link to that. It'll be in the show notes below of their argument for why. Basically, like we talked about recapping their their argument is that we need to stand with those people to defend them, specifically Israel. We need to stop China, which I think a lot of conservatives believe in. Then there's the Russia thing. We don't quite as believe as much on that. Their exact wording is halt, quote, halt Russia from once again expanding its adversarial empire, end quote. Kind of a little bit of a Cold War type of speakage there. They also, and we'll get into it later, I have it in the discussion notes, there was a part in the package that aims to re-energize, end quote, some of the military manufacturing capabilities and different stuff in the United States and plus some drug-related things. And also one thing, which I'll have to dig into it and we may all have to, making some more investments in nuclear research, which I, I guess good. But all in all, we have a breakdown here for me and John to go through. I would say there's there's bits of honey in here, but it's not worth the pain <laughs> with this bill and something that you all, as their constituents, should be aware of. Because I think a lot of us think the federal government needs to stop spending and both, not one and then the other. No, both of your Idaho senators voted for this. I didn't know that. I guess that shows how out of touch I am with politics, but that that is rather disappointing that our senators did that. Which, hmm. one element I, I would encourage everyone out there as we go through this that I've tried to train in my life, and it might be a useful resource, and it doesn't take too long. If there's like a national conversation about X, Y, or Z bill that gets passed, right, try to train yourself to like then be like, okay, did my senator vote for that, and then go look it up real quick. I've tried to do that more and it's been really, really helpful. It's a super easy, like mind, I don't know, trick or something to get yourself kind of involved and ready for election season, I guess, when that comes around. Yeah, no, that's a thing that I will definitely have to do more of here in the future is, is see what our local guys are doing. Federal. Well, yeah, yeah. But what our local guys are doing at the federal level, I guess that's what I meant. Oh, okay. What are, what, are what are local U.S. representatives? That's a terrible way of wording that, but I worded it that way. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, I'll have to do that in the future because I, I very much disagree with, with a lot of the funding package that we've got. I understand some of the points they're making with some of the things that our senators are saying, but I disagree vehemently with them. I mean, you can always find honey in a bill. I remember someone quoting that. There's always goodies in there, but that doesn't justify the whole stinking thing. Right. Which there you go. That don't get don't get John started on his omnibus rant. It's 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 something to behold. (laughs) Um, But before he catches us on that, kind of just a quick breakdown because I know we've all I I think most of us have heard. So number one thing: support for Ukraine, sixty point zero six billion dollars to go to Ukraine. 
for context, which would include military aid, economic, humanitarian assistance, and other support measures. That part kind of bugs me because that's like, oh, yeah, and for whatever we didn't think of, we're going to write a blank check. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay, and then the second one, which I know we're all kind of a little bit more happy about, but eh, anything. $14.1 billion which would include strengthening Israel's defense capabilities, particularly in the missile defense system and replenishing Department of Defense DOD stocks to support Israel. The other one after that, we're going in kind of rescinding order of the pain. Humanitarian assistance, $9.15 billion. You might ask, what do you mean humanitarian assistance? Well, apply food, water, and shadow medical care and other essential services to civilians in conflict zones such as Gaza, the West Bank, and Ukraine. So... You know, there was that top part for Israel and Ukraine, but we decided we're going to take another $9 billion <laughs> and we're going to tack it on there again. And if you think I'm making this all up in the link in the descriptions, this is coming from the committee. This is what got approved out of committee. Then you have support in the Indo-Pacific, which is behind that humanitarian assistance. Kind of got to look at that. So China, China took, took you... Kind of like the ingredient list, one, two, three, fourth on the ingredient <laughs> list to find funding for against China. Four, $4.83 billion support for key regional partners. Couldn't you just say Taiwan? Like, the Chinese <laughs> Communist Party is not going to come after you, Congress or House. Just put Taiwan there. Um, and deter uh, yeah, oppression by aversion. Chinese government. <laughs> we have an aversion to, to saying that word. Taiwan. Yeah, we we don't believe that. And then then there's operations in U.S. Central Command. This is the part that they were talking about. Our senators, two point four four billion to support operations and address combat expenditures related to conflicts in the Red Sea. Now, this is a part I had a hard time verifying. This is from the source that I found for this, and other things were kept citing the White House. So take it with a grain of salt. The White House. Definitely has all of its marbles. That True, the, a shaman and nominate depressor. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. But that part of the funding in this package for the U.S. military would be that hey, we're sending all this aid to Ukraine, right? An X amount of dollars, and so the reason this bill is so large is that the, we're also spending money so that when we give this weaponry to Ukraine, we're then refilling our reserves that we depleted by giving stuff to Ukraine. That's the bit that I've heard people <laughs> arguing for why Rish and them voted for it. That it's like, well, we gave all this money to Ukraine, so we had to spend all this money so we wouldn't have anything in our big boom boom stick chest. I wasn't able to verify that. If someone else can find that, and I would be so thankful for that to verify that, but beyond the White House, I wish the White House was enough, but it's not. And put that down in the description wherever you're watching this. That would be a big help because I was not able to, but that's something to, I guess, kind of look for i guess if you want if you're going to want to double check me on that then there's also here again support for displaced ukrainians so the ukraines make it in here again at 481 million to continue supporting ukraine's displaced after the war so ukrainians they there's the war thingy and they come here and then we spend another 481 million on them so we didn't spend enough on their country we spend more when they're here then second to last, nonprofit security grant program, four hundred million to help nonprofits and places of worship make security enhancements. I basically it's a bunch of grants that are involved for like places of worship and educational kind of places in areas of high risk for shooter things for like metal detectors and things. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
there's yeah you can go look that up i i didn't want to spend too much time on that because that wasn't the point that they were arguing for jim rish and them and i wanted to focus on idaho things but that's something look at and the last one is fentanyl fentanyl eradication and narcotics defense or f-e-n-d act basically it's in the bill it's on the committee page when it comes out of committee but i can't find anywhere what how much funding that's getting it, I, I can't. <laughs> hmm. It's there in the funding thing, but it doesn't tell you how much money it's getting. So it's almost like, okay, we're going to do all these things. We're going to fund a bunch of Ukrainians. We're going to give you Republicans some stuff with China and your military stuff because we know you Re- Republicans like your, you know, guns, which we do. And then we're going to do something for like your churches and stuff so you won't get shot up type of thing. And then we're going to do something about the fentanyl crisis you're talking about, but we won't specify what we're going to do about that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the rundown that I had reading through that bill. If I'm incorrect, please, please comment down below or tweet me or something. And uh, maybe next episode we can make a correction. Anywho, now I guess me and John going through our discussion on that more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we I feel like we already discussed. Right. But yeah. That, that, that's an overview of the chaos, which is yeah. that, that bill. I am very hopeful with the new House Speaker that it won't make it through the House. I think any smart Republican politician should know that this is a wedge issue. Biden really, really, really badly wants money for Ukraine. And then we as Republicans say, if you want that, you've got to give us something other than pieces of <laughs> dust. Not saying that, you know, what is it, 400 million for nonprofits, that's just, that's going to disappear in the bureaucracy of it. That's not helpful. Republican lawmakers, the number one thing right now is the border. And I think it's a wonderful thing, especially for the House, and I hope they stand firm, the small margin of Republicans there, to say, no, (laughs) this has to be included. If you want your money, you're going to have to play ball with us as well. And that's why we have two different branches of government, because then you have this. People might call it dysfunctional. I just say it's a progression of our society and culture right now. If you think your Congress is divided, just look at your society. It's divided. It's a mirror. So the, the other funny thing with this bill, and you brought it up right there, is the partisanship of it all. This bill started as the border security bill, and... Once the House decided that a border security bill that only gave funding to foreign countries didn't make sense, then the Senate quickly changed the border security bill to a give money to foreign countries bill. And it just makes me laugh how quickly that change happened, because it was like overnight that everyone agreed, no, we're not going to vote for that bill because it gives money to foreign aids and it doesn't actually do what it's supposed to. And then the next day they were like, you know what? You're right. We're just going to get rid of the help for our border and we're going to rename it to the let's give money to everybody else bill. And I'm looking at that going, you did you completely miss the point here? Like you missed Mm -hmm. the boat. You Mm -hmm. didn't. You don't. So dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots, lots of frustrations here. But I guess this was kind of expected with the Senate because the Senate lately. But. (laughs) 
Yep. There's hope left in the House so far. I mean, I know some yeah. people dislike him. There's arguments, but I think the current House Speaker has done a really good job of standing firm on some key positions, specifically this one. This was one of his primary things going into it. True. And I think he's done a great job thus far. This will be a real test of it. If he can hurt a bunch of cats, which we call Republicans, to stay in line, <laughs> if he can achieve that with this, I think he's got a very good future going forward. But this is going to be a real test for that House leadership and also to see how squishy Republicans are in the House. But something to be aware of. That was the main reason I wanted to bring up and bring a little discussion on it that, yes, both your Idaho Senate representatives uh, voted yes on that bill that we're all very frustrated about. So you might want to might want to reach out to them and keep that a note for election season if you feel that's the hill you want to die on. With that said, I know it's been a roller coaster of political stuff, but thank you for listening to the entire podcast. I sincerely hope you found it enjoyable and valuable, at least the valuable part. I know the enjoyable can be a little hard with the politics. If we missed any important points or provided incorrect information, please feel free to reach out to us via email at localyokelidaho2022 at gmail.com or on Twitter by tweeting us at localyokelidaho. With the small team we have here, we're not able to cover everything, but we do our best to cover the most interesting and important stories. Thank you for your continued support and assistance. That's all for now, and I wish you a fantastic rest of your week. Godspeed. Godspeed.